Amen. Hey, thank Josh and the team and, and the little ones for behaving so well. Oh my goodness. That'll be, there's hardly nothing to, no horrific story to tell. That's just a, a bit of a bummer. Uh, we, uh, that, that's, that uh, is meaningful to me. We have two boys, Donna and I, as many of you know, and and to see these little ones and think about the journey that's ahead for them. You know, it's, uh, it's, you know, if you have children, you know what a journey that's like and that there's, there's amazing things and there's heartbreaking things and there's the best moments of your life and then the hardest and, and maybe even gut-wrenching moments of your life that have to do with your kids and families and how things work out. We, we started this series long before Advent. You might remember it. The graphic looked a little different. We've changed it just uh, keep them separate, but the, the series was, uh, we went through at least part of a letter that the Apostle Paul, back in the first century, wrote to a group of people. It's called Ephesians, and so this one city, Ephesus, is in mind, but probably went to many, many more people than that. And we called this series Pact back in October and November because there's so much in this little letter that, that Paul writes. There's, there's just such deep and important truth, and you know, it felt like 2020 was just such a journey for, for us, for you, for all of us. And as we're going through this journey, I got to thinking, I'm reading Ephesians, and I thought, man, there's some things in here. This thing is so packed. There's some stuff in here that we really need. If, if we're going to make it through, you know, without going off one end or the other, without giving up hope, with all of these things intact, if we're going to come through with our faith stronger and, and maybe even more helpful than it was before, we, we need what Paul has said in Ephesians. And so, so we dug into it. And it's, it's so deep and rich. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, we talked about several things. This is like from the very first chapter of Ephesians. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that Paul writes. Here's what he says. Let me just read you these couple of verses. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. I mean, this, Paul says these things in Ephesians that the language just sort of soars. And it goes above all of the stuff and all of the noise and all of the partisan things and all of the opinions. And he just says, I mean, who wouldn't want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened and know the hope? To This is, this is how he writes in Ephesians. And it's almost as if he's saying, look... I know it's hard right now, and I know you don't know kind of which end is up on any given day, but let me just take your glasses off for a minute and just clean them for you. And he just puts them on his shirt and gets them cleaner and then puts them back on and says, now do you see? Now do you see? I mean, I know it's been really hard. I mean, I know you maybe have some doubts. I know you have some fears. I know anxiety sneaks up on you and, and catches you unaware. But let me just, let me just reorient you. Let me, let me give you a, a compass so that you know where north is. If not, you'll get lost. And so he does this in the first three chapters. It's incredible. And he, he tells us what it means to, to know God and why we're even here and what other people are for and how we should relate to them. And he, he covers these just massive, broad-reaching, deep theological, big word, right? All that means is how we see God and how we see other people. Deep ideas that form this foundation of of where we are. 
And we talked about ideas that really matter. Maybe you remember, we talked about us and them and how we're pitting us against other people and we've made other people the enemy and all those kinds of things. We, We talked about the idea that you can't solve a spiritual problem with a political solution. Maybe you remember that. And you know, when we talked about that, in early November, we had no idea what was coming, you know, it just kind of happened. And, and as we waded through these issues and these stories and this, these concepts, God just sort of opened up some things for us and we found our way all the way to the end of the year, Advent and the magical nature of the Christmas season. But these first three chapters of Ephesians are just like this. I mean, here's one from the very end of Ephesians 3. Maybe you remember this. We used it as a benediction before we changed our series. Now to him who is able to do, in fact, say it with me, would you? Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power, he says. And this power is at work within us. In fact, he gets to the end of chapter 3 and he even says What? Amen. You think Paul's done, but there's like three more chapters to go. It's pretty incredible, but it's like he's kind of finished a little portion of it. And he did. He kind of finished a a portion of it. And there's three chapters to go and and it takes on a different tenor altogether, which is where we're going for the next few weeks as we push toward Lent and the Easter season. Some of the words in the last three chapters of Ephesians will kind of guide our way. So I was at home the other day studying. Sometimes I stay at home and study because the commute is such a bear. That's why. And so um, I was at home studying. And I, on my phone, I've got, uh, he's allowed to do that now. He was so good. He can do whatever he wants right now. Um, I've got a couple group texts that I, you know, pay attention to pretty often. One is my family. You know, it's, it's me and Donna, Austin Carter, and we're all on the same one. It's fun, you know. I mean, I don't know, what, what do we do before group text? I don't know how it works. And then one is me and my two brothers. I have two brothers. There's three of us. I'm in the middle. And, uh, and so we text about all manner of things. And, and I got texts from, in both group texts, almost about the same time. And they both said almost the exact same thing. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm in a pretty holy spiritual moment. You know, I mean, I got my Bible open. I'm, you know, thinking about you all, praying for you all. And I get this text that says, essentially, they both said the same thing. Are you watching this? And I thought, no, I'm not watching it. I'm not watching anything. But I never watch the news during the day. And I thought, I guess I, guess I should turn the TV on. I don't even know. I, don't, I turn the TV on. I turn the TV on and, and I'm watching some things unfold in front of me. And this is the thought I had. What in the world is happening now? Did you have that same thought? Did you have other thoughts? Did you have some thoughts you would want to say in church? Did you have, what, what, what did you think? And I don't know if it's going to be as big a deal as, you know, some other historical things when people say, where were you when, you know, but you were somewhere and maybe you saw it on the news or you heard it on the radio and you watched this scene unfold, this weird, freaky scene. And what do you think about it? I don't even know. I just, I just know this. Here's what I know. This is what I thought after watching it for a few minutes. I'm getting weary of having historical things happen in the last, I don't know, 10 or 12 months, aren't you? When they say things like, this has never happened before, I'm thinking, when are they going to quit saying that? I would be all for them, for them to say at the end of 2021, you know, I mean, it started with a bang, but the rest of the year was really boring. Wouldn't you like that? That would be incredible. And I watched and I just thought, oh, 
How many times have I asked this question? Well, what in the world is happening now over the last year? And if you thought, you know, 2020, uh, you know, midnight on the 31st was going to flip a switch, you know, I mean, it took, what, five days before we were like, oh, here we go again. I mean, wh- how, wh- what, what can we not expect that we can now expect so that we don't have something happen that's unexpected? And I don't even know how to come up with that list because the things that have occurred when I have asked what in the world is happening now and then I've gone to the TV or my news app or headlines to figure it out or Googling something and looking for something in the headlines, trying to figure out are cases falling, are they rising, what happened to the election, what in the world is going on in D.C., you name it. I've asked this question and then looked for answers to my question. And then with my Bible open, thinking about what's coming in this series, thinking about Ephesians chapter 4, I read these words. Paul says, message uh, paraphrase, if you will, I want you to get out there and walk, and better yet run, he says, on the road God called you to travel. I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, had been all my life, I understand God has a call on my life. You know, someday we could sit down and I could tell you about when I feel like that happened and what it was like and, and why I do what I do. Paul's not writing this to pastors or preachers or people who vocationally get their money from doing ministry. He's writing it to you and me and carpenters and farmers and businessmen. And what he says is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, you know, run. You got stuff to do and places to go. On the road, God called you to travel. And I read this and I wondered about you. And this is, the, this is what I wondered. What road has God called you to travel on? To where? Which means, stop and think about it. You're here. And God's moving you to here. You're, you're moving from one place to another. And you're moving in that direction. And you're moving down a specific road. In fact, if Paul's words are correct, and this is probably a great translation of the Greek and the message in this particular instance. Paul says, you have been called to travel on a very specific road. And that call has come from the one who made you in his image. What have you been called to do? What road are you on? What is it? It's unique. It's different than mine. But it's specific to you. Are you a parent? Are you a mom? A dad? Are you a wife? Are you a businessman? A businesswoman? Run your own deal? Got an in-home business? Do you have some neighbors? Do you work from home? Do you go to an office? You could ask this question a thousand different ways. Who's in your circle? Who do you get to interact with? Who do you say hello to and good morning, good afternoon to? Who do you ask? How are you? How's your day going? 
What road are you on? The road that you're on is the road that God has called you to travel. And maybe that's changed in the last year. Maybe it's shifting for you in ways that you didn't expect. Maybe you feel like you're not on any road at all. You're just wandering through the desert. That's okay. That happens a lot to God's people. What road are you on? Who is among you? What's your job? Not just the job you get paid to do. What's the work, the good work that Jesus has put in front of you to do? I mean, the other day, my work was to you know, do the dishes and take care of this and take care of that and help our little blind and invalid dog find her way to the backyard. That was my job. That was the road at that moment that God called me to travel. So what is the road? That's a question. It's a good question. It's a better question than what in the world is happening Because every time you've asked that over the last year, you've received information, you've gone on a search, but you haven't gotten wisdom. You've maybe figured out what the headlines are and whose side you're on and why somebody else is on the other side and what's the difference between the two of you and why you don't get along. But wisdom is found in asking this question. Where are you headed? And what road are you on? What's your road? Look, Your circumstances that you're in right now, they are not by happenstance. God has you where he has you because he wants you in that spot. Now, I don't know why. I don't know what he wants to do with you and through you. My guess is it has something to do with love and redemption and grace and helping other people see him and his nature and his character. But the spot that you're in in this moment and the people that you interact with, God has put you there because you are on a road that he has called you to. And that road, you're traveling. Where are you headed? He has you there. Specific people, specific place. And remember, there's no us or them. Never. There's good work to do. There's good understanding of what he's up to. God's placed you there. Where are you headed? And then... Paul says, B, in the very next verse. I know there's a lot of words after it, but it's important that you see this word first all by itself, B. In one verse, after he says amen in chapter three, he kicks off chapter four. We gave it chapters, by the way. That's just kind of how Paul was writing. We just divided it up so we could find it together. Chapter four kicks off with this statement that you're on a road and you were headed in a very specific place. He answers one really important question, why you're here, you're on a road. God is doing something through you. He's called you to travel on this road. You're not there by accident. Your circumstances aren't happenstance. There you are. And then he takes you in the very next verse to this place, B. Look, if the first three chapters of Ephesians are like a compass that tell you kind of where north is. The last three chapters of Ephesians, this little letter that we'll read through and pick some pieces out of, the last three chapters of Ephesians are like the map. Did you see Spielberg's adaptation of of Lincoln's life and, and his story of 
you know, what happened with the amendment and Lincoln's story is, is amazing. I don't know if Lincoln said all the things that were written in this screenplay. I hope that he did. But one of the conversations he had with a senator when they were talking about how to get the slaves to a place of freedom, one senator was saying, well, they must be freed. We must go all the way. And Lincoln says this incredible thing. He says, you know, your, your values, who you are, they will tell you true north. They will tell you what direction. A compass will tell you how to get through the woods if you need to go north, but they won't tell you where the, the gullies are and the, the, the pitfalls and the holes. Look, if the first part of Ephesians is a compass, the, the second half is a map that will tell you how to get the direction that you need to go on the road that God has called you to. First part, big picture, soaring language is beautiful. God does immeasurable things. But now Paul is going to get detailed and he's going to tell you, well, he's going to tell you how you should be. And you and I get to make a choice if we're going to take Paul's words to heart and, uh, and walk down the road that God's called us to with these words. And not just these in chapter three, all three chapters do this. All three of them do it together. And if you're wondering, in the middle of what we're living in, tension and strife and so many questions, how should I be? Paul's gonna answer it for you. And so if the first question that is worth asking where am I headed? It's a good one. What road are you on? I mean, you ought to really ponder that question. Why are you on that road? Why did God put you with the people he did, doing the job you were doing? Whatever that job is, paid or volunteer or compulsory, right? Some of our jobs would all of the, be above. Where am I headed? Then the next question that we ought to ask is this then. Who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? These two questions frame the last bit of, of Ephesians, and we'll talk about a little bit of it today. Who am I becoming? Because whether we realize it or not, you and I, we're becoming someone today. If you look back over the last year, you could say and see and, and maybe even observe with a little bit of a imagination, you know, 30,000 foot view of who you were at the beginning of 2020, what you hoped for, what you dreamed for, what you anticipated, your plans for travel, what you thought was going to happen with your family, and all of that changed a bit. Oh, February, March, April, May. We thought it would be back and it wasn't. All of these things are occurring. You in the middle of all of those things, those details and the questions and the lockdowns and all of that, you were still becoming something. Some of us were becoming more anxious. Some of us were becoming more trusting. Some of us were becoming more free. Some of us were becoming more constrained. Some of us, our hearts were hardening to the people around us. And some of us, our hearts were softening. Some of us were learning by trial and error and mostly failure what it means to become more like Jesus. And some of us were finding a deep richness in places that we had no idea we could even find it. But you know as well as I do that over the last 12 months, you've been becoming something. Who are you becoming? And let's be clear, we're not talking about daily swings, right? We're not talking about stock market. I mean, where is it at today? We're talking about who you're becoming, not over this day or even this week, but more like months. There's a trajectory of your life. 
And as your heart is being shaped after the character and the nature of who Jesus is and how open and willing you are to engage in hard conversations with people you love, to find ways where maybe you don't trust God nearly enough, then this question of who am I becoming is really the most important one. Look, you and I, we don't have a crystal ball about what's to come next. I'm learning that we should expect everything and nothing, right? This is what we're learning. But what you can do is follow Jesus in a way that Paul prescribes, allows you to become in six months or a year, 10 years, a lifetime, a decade, whatever period of time, more surrendered to God and more like him. And he begins to lay it out in the second verse of chapter four. And so this is what he says. Just a few thoughts before we wrap up today. He says this, if we're asking this question, who am I becoming? Paul says, let's say it together. We kind of encourage one another with these words. This is how he begins the verse. Say it with me. Be completely humble. And if we're gonna be honest, I'll be honest with you. I'll start. You can be honest with me later if you want. I'm really good at being moderately humble, right? I'm great at being humble at times with certain people in certain circumstances. But when my pride is injured, when I find anger rising up, when I have picked up an offense, then humility goes out the door. And it'd be great if Paul had said, be sort of humble, be moderately humble. I'd be like, check, nailed it. What's next, Paul? But he says, no, no, I want you to be what? Paul, come on, set the bar just a little lower. He says, be completely humble. If I'm honest, I'm humble based on who I'm around, who's in the room, and maybe what's pushing on me, or how much sleep I had, or whether yesterday I got what I wanted or didn't. Be completely humble. It's interesting. This word, completely, uh, it, it's, it's a complex word. It's a good word. The root of the word is the word pan. Um, we, we know pan because it means all, right? We know what that means. You know, it, we, we have it in, you know, we use it as a prefix. We use it in a lot of different ways. But it's the exact same word that you find in the Greek in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that, what's the next word? That whosoever believes in him, whosoever, say the word with me, whosoever, right? A little further in the verse, you were right that he gave, following that, that whosoever believes in him. So this whosoever word is the exact same word. It sounds so different in this verse, doesn't it? How could whosoever be translated completely? Well, because it means all. It means all. It means, it means that there should be nothing in you, nothing about you that is not humble. That every piece, every attitude, every mindset, every interaction should have humility. He doesn't stop there. He keeps going. And then he says this. So be completely humble and be gentle. That's a tough word for today, isn't it? Gentle isn't really the way today. Gentle uh, is a... Is a word that we understand, but many translations use this phrase, 
be completely humble, and then it says, instead of gentle, and with all meekness, with all meekness, even if we've embraced humility, even if we've decided to be humble, we're iffy about meekness. Because meekness means, well, meekness means that I'm going to get run over or that you're going to get what you want and I'm not going to get what I want. Meekness means that I've taken humility a step too far. Meekness means that I'm a doormat, that I'm going to be taken advantage of, that I'm going to have to put up with something, that I'm going to be mowed over. He doesn't stop there. He keeps moving. He says, be completely humble and gentle and what? You know, you've heard, never pray for patience, right? Come on, how do you find what it means to grow in patience? What does it mean to grow in being patient and having patience? You walk into a waiting room, you see a group of people, and you can tell who's patient and who's not, right? Based on what? Oh, countenance, how fidgety. Could be that you just got there and somebody's waited three hours and somebody's waited five minutes. You're going to sit there for a while because you're going to have to wait a while. And in the waiting room there, you're going to find out quickly who's being patient or not. How do you grow in patience? Well, you have to find the edge of your patience, don't you? In fact, the only way to grow in patience is when you find yourself in a setting or a circumstance and you feel not patient but impatient, and when you find yourself feeling impatient, then you make the decision that you will move back towards patience, and you will wait patiently, and then you will wait some more, and then impatience grows up, and then you find yourself pushing it aside again. Ask anybody who's worked out, engaged in any sort of physical exercise regimen and they say no pain no gain if you didn't find the edge then you won't grow if you don't tear the muscle it won't heal stronger if you don't push yourself when it comes to your your cardio or your vo2 max or how far you can run or how far you can climb then you'll never find yourself moving beyond what you can do today right so patience then means that i have to find the edge And when I find the edge, then I'm doing good things. But I find that when I'm patient with the waitress or the DMV gentleman or the doctor, I feel like I'm condoning bad customer service. Do you ever feel that way? Who feels that way? Let's be honest. Who feels that way? If you sit there and you think, it's okay, somebody at the table is going to say this, they're probably having a bad day. And you think, I'm having a bad day too, and I want my stinking lunch. Or you think, you know, I come here and I wait an hour every time. Why can't they just schedule me for the next hour? And you feel like you're condoning somebody else's behavior that is, should not ever be enabled. And so you feel like you're doing the world a favor in your impatience. And Paul says, here's what I want you to be. You're on a road and you're with some people and it's a road that God's called you to. So I want you to do this. I want you to be humble. 
I want you to be gentle. And then I want you to be patient. The next time you find the edge of your patience, here's the prayer we pray. Lord, help me find the edge of my patience. God may bring it up quicker than you think so that I can move past that edge, tear that muscle, and let it grow a little bit deeper. Let me ask you this question, and this may change your view on it. What would be the downside of you being more thoughtfully patient? You know what you'll miss? Anxiety, agitation, anger, demandingness, offendedness. You'll miss all of that. Do you want to give that up? Why not? He doesn't stop there. Patience. Then he says this. Be completely humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with one another in what? In love. The language is actually stronger than that. Bearing with one another isn't really a great translation. Probably a better translation is this. Be completely humble, gentle, and patient. Then he says, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's a better, better translation of what the Greek says. In fact, if we were going to be just blunt and honest about it, Paul says this, put up with each other because you love one another. That doesn't sound very romantic, does it? It doesn't even sound like love, does it? It sounds like tolerance. If you go back about two translations before these modern translations, that's exactly the word that was translated from the Greek, tolerance. But tolerance means something different today. So translators, I think, are a little leery of the word or feel like it maybe communicates the wrong thing, so they took it out. It's exactly what the Greek means. So next time you feel love well up in you, look to the one that you feel committed to and devoted to and say, I tolerate you. (laughs) Right? See where that gets you. This is exactly what Paul's saying. What happens when you tolerate somebody? Well, it means I don't have to demand my way. It means I don't have to say I'm right, you're wrong. And you know, of course, wouldn't want to confess that because it isn't very engendering. It doesn't doesn't bring about endearment in the relationship, but it is sure a lot better than the opposite, which is what? I will not tolerate this sink any longer. I will not tolerate your habits, your mood, your attitude, your, you fill in the blank. I will not tolerate it. And when that happens, we cut it off and we say, look, you've got to change. And if you don't change, I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to draw a line and whatever is good between us is going to be at least a little more distant, maybe completely broken. You've had people do that to you this year, haven't you? Some people have done that to you and it creates the deepest heartache you could ever imagine. Some people have done that to you over your view on you fill in the blank. Some people have done that to you because of something you did to them. Put up with one another. And so when Paul includes all of this in one verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, which every one of us in this room, online, watching at home, should commit to memory. He says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to be. If you're on this road, and the road that God's called you on, I want you to be completely humble. I want you to be gentle. I want you to be patient. I want you to bear with one another in love. 
it feels like this is a list of who I am not. Do you feel that way? I mean, when Paul writes these things, at the end of the list, do you think, well, I guess I need to find a different religion or something because this one I'm not measuring up to. I can't do this. This is not who I am. I don't even know what to do with this. It feels like it describes everything I am not in 10 different ways. And Paul would say, oh, don't forget, don't forget. Remember the first three chapters? Remember, you're not to worry about who you aren't and who they aren't. You're to worry about who you can become. And he gives you this vision of who you can become. So, so guilt, shame, unhelpful, won't get you down the road. It's not a part of Ephesians 1 through 3 or even 1 through 6, all six chapters. It's not a part of how you can move forward with God down the road that he's called you to with the people that you're traveling with. It's not a part of your journey. What is this? This is who I can become. With God's help, he can do, remember what we've read? Immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. And he won't do it Tuesday but you'll find yourself making progress this year if you decide this is who I want to become. Now, this is where it kind of gets a little, some friction, okay? It becomes um, very personal for all of us. I make the decision. I don't know if you do this or not. I'll just say it for me. I make the decision about whether I'm going to behave this way or not. based on whether I think the people in my immediate proximity deserve it or not. Do you? I do almost all the time. I decide. Gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I may have to find another job. I decide whether or not I'm going to be humble or gentle or patient or put up with one other person or not based on whether I think the people I'm interacting with deserve it. And if I think they do, they get humble and patient and gentle Phil. It's a good day. We're all glad he showed up. If they don't deserve it. If I discern based on whatever measuring stick I use that somebody doesn't deserve it, then they don't get that. They get proud fill, agitated fill, impatient fill, and I've decided I don't even have to put up with you anymore. I get to decide who I put up with. I'm going to act this way and this is how it's going to be. Aren't you glad God didn't do that with you? I'm so thankful God didn't do that with me. I'm so thankful that God decided with me that he would be gentle and patient, that he would put up with me, that Jesus would take a route that was completely humble and give up his life for me. So the roads that we walk down absolutely require that we move to become like this Jesus who was like this with us 
and we're like that with other people. So I don't worry that I can't meet this standard. Jesus met it for me. I'm saved and he's sanctifying me and what he wants me to ask is, well, what road am I on? What road are you on? And who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? And wouldn't you know it, in the fourth chapter of a little letter in the back of your Bible called Ephesians, there's one verse that could give us some marching orders, some directions, some targets, some hopes, some dreams about the year to come. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what happens in your marriage with this? But she, but he, no, no, you, I'm talking about you. Can you imagine what happens with your teenagers with that? Can you imagine what happens with your parents, your aging parents, with your coworkers that you think, oh, you again? Can you imagine? And then, then Paul writes this. We'll end with this. This is beautiful, not just because it's in Ephesians 4, because it caps everything that he said so far. It's the next few couple of verses. There's one between them. But because of what happened today with uh, little Weston, little Nolan. But Paul writes this for meaning. Look, you, you, you want to pursue these qualities and these characteristics in your life. And you want the relationships that you have with other people to move in this direction. You want that. Why? For there is one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. You remember all of December? How we're refining our hope and we're naming it and we're describing it and we're listing it and you did the hard work of asking this question, where is my hope and what is it pinned on? And you worked very hard at unattaching it from things that don't matter and attaching it to the things that God has promised. Remember all that work you did? One hope for the glorious future. And then he says this, and this is powerful. I can't even... I can't overstate how powerful this is. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of how many? Who is over how many? And he is in how many? And he is living through, you don't even want to say it, do you? Because you know somebody you think, I don't know, isn't there like an accept? Isn't there an asterisk somewhere? One God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. This word is the exact same word that is in John 3.16. The exact same word that describes the humility that we have to display. It is a whosoever. You say, well, I know somebody who that doesn't apply to. Nope, God said it, and actually his opinion matters more than mine. He is the God and Father of all. Image bears everyone who is overall made in his image. Everybody you know by name or by face. And he is living through all. So of course you want to be somebody who is humble and gentle and patient and puts up with others. In fact, this is what the church is called to do. This is the story that God is telling through the entire church over and over and over again. Will you be the people I've called you to be? Will you walk down the road that I've called you to walk down? 
Let me guide you through a prayer time about that. Lord, we come to you right now and just ask that you would guide us down this road, that you would make it clear, where are we walking? And so each one of us, Lord, may we thoughtfully answer those two questions today and this week. May we commit this verse to our memory. Ephesians 4, 2 becomes sort of a, a map for us about what it means to develop your character and to love the people that we're around. So Lord, this question, what road are we on? Help us to ask it and answer it. Help us to be thoughtful about what we're trying to get done with our life, with our time, with our energy, with our money, with our resources. But Lord, help us to wrestle uh, even more deeply with this question. Who are we becoming? Lord, the story you are telling, you're inviting us to be a part of it, restoring the kingdom, jumping into the, the many areas of mission and effort that we learned about last week, using who we are and what we have to build your kingdom on this earth. And we want to do so in, in all humility, patient, thoughtful, gentle, with all meekness, putting up with one another. There isn't anybody that we could come across that we would say, I, I, I can't, you're beyond it. I can't, I can't put up with you. Lord, that doesn't mean that we go on vacation together. It just means that we love. It means that we do not allow bitterness to grab hold of our hearts. For Lord, that is how you love us. And so we declare now that you, Lord, are the King of Kings, that your church is strong and established, the foundation is there, and you're inviting us to be a part of that story. And so now, Lord, through these lyrics, we sing the story that you're telling, and we ask that you would quicken our hearts to be a part of it.